0: Please uh, take the Word of God with me and turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus and uh, chapter 20. Exodus <clears throat> and chapter 20. We have uh, spent some time, lest we have forgotten, that we began a journey through of the study of the book of Exodus. And we've been going... Uh, Chapter, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, and we've come and we've uh, done a series study in Exodus chapter 20 on the Ten Commandments and spend uh, a message on each one of the Ten Commandments. I hope it's been beneficial with us understanding the following uh, truths, that the law the observation of the law, man's attempt to observe the law, does not make a man righteous. The Bible says there, that by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight for by the law's knowledge of sin. The law, what it does, it, it, reveals, it reveals how desperately we need a Savior. And uh, the book of Galatians tells us uh, that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And so I hope that one of the Uh, thoughts that has arisen as we've looked at the commandments and specifically the spirit of the commandments is that we can't keep those perfectly and that therefore we need a Savior. And so we ought to be thankful for Jesus Christ. But also we understand that those commandments should not be understood uh, just in the letter of the commandments but in the spirit of the commandments. There is an an intent with each one of the commandments. And Jesus Christ, when He came, He reestablished the intent. He did not preach something new. He preached truths that should have been known all along, but evidently uh, those who were the religious leaders during the time of Christ had uh, limited and narrowed down the observation of the commandments to the letter alone. And they had also done another thing. They had added the traditions of men to the commandments. And by doing so, they uh, made the commandment of none effect. And so when we come to the commandments, though, we understand that they communicate for us uh, not just what is required of man and what God's standard of holiness is, which Jesus Christ met, but they reveal something about God about the character of God, and about um, who He is, what God loves, and what God hates. And in each one of those, specifically, as we looked at the two sections, the first section is the first four commandments are the commandments that address man's relationship with God. Uh, Thou shall have no other gods before me. Thou shall not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shall not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. Uh, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And so these deal with our relationship with God, and God gives those first. Because our most important relationship is our relationship with God. And that our relationship with our fellow man will come out of our relationship with God. And so those first four commandments are very important. Uh, with regards to the commandments with man's relationship with man, you have the next um, six commandments, the last six commandments, uh, deals with our relationship with our fellow men. The first one is a positive command. Remember the Sabbath day to, or uh, honor thy father and thy mother. That's a positive command. But all of the other ones are negative in that the, the commandments say thou shalt not. You're not going to do those things. And when we think about those as they're put in the negative, we have to understand that there are opposite positive virtues for each one of those commandments. Uh, When we think about, uh, for example, thou shalt not commit adultery, what's the opposite positive virtue? Faithfulness is the opposite positive virtue. And God is faithful. And so the opposite positive virtue we're going to find are rooted in the character of God. And uh, we ought to develop those things. And if we think about those Ten Commandments, we who are saved by the grace of God, not by works, of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his grace he saved us. We who are saved by the grace of God have received, as it's been mentioned this evening, the indwelling Holy Spirit of God, and the indwelling Holy Spirit of God enables us to live righteously. Enables us to live righteously. And so we understand that as we look at the spirit of these commandments, that God will enable us. To live not just by the letter of those commandments, but by the spirit of those commandments. And certainly we need the Lord's help with that. We're going to look at the last of those commandments. Commandment number 10 in verse 17. So, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. And the Word of God says, Thou shalt not covet... Thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Think about those last words. Nor anything, anything that is thy neighbor's. I'm going to preach this evening on Thou Shalt Not Covet. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this evening for Your Word. Lord, give us guidance, specifically as we seek to capture the spirit of the commandments. And certainly this commandment is primarily spiritual in its application. It deals with the heart of man. And Lord, I pray that You would give us understanding that we might root out any covetousness in us. I pray that you'd give us such an understanding that we would be able to identify covetousness in our lives and that we might seek for, pursue, cultivate the opposite positive virtues of contentment. And we ask for your help and understanding in these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I have dealt with each one of the commandments in one singular message, and I've probably referred to this that there was much more to be said, but uh, I'm limited in time, uh, and certainly we could have uh, used each one of the commandments and made a series out of some of the individual commandments. Uh, there are going to be two parts to the message this evening dealing with the 10th commandment. Um, The first part is going to be answering a number of questions, and that's what I'm going to do tonight. We're going to ask the question, what is covetousness? Then we're going to talk about what does covetousness do? What does it do in our lives? And thirdly, we're going to answer the question, how serious is the violation of the 10th commandment in our lives as Christians? How serious is that? It would appear to not be serious as far as it concerns the other commandments, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal. We would say, man, those are seem primary. The New Testament has uh, some very um, serious implications for those who violate the 10th commandment, and we're going to look at that. And the second part will be Answering the question, what is the opposite positive virtue? I'll just give it to you now. It's, it's contentment. Uh, we might summarize the opposite of covetousness is uh, contentment, reasonableness, modesty, self-control. And it is to be cultivated um, in a heart that is primarily occupied with the Lord's interests and the needs of others. And so those are the opposite positive virtue, and, and we're going to talk about that in part two. But I want to focus on this evening on what is covetousness, what does it do, and how serious it is for believers, for us who are believers, uh, to violate this 10th commandment. So let's begin with asking the first question as we look at our text, thou shalt not covet. What is covetousness? Well, what is covetousness? where to start? (laughs) And uh, I think when we think about the subject of covetousness, I uh, have read quite a bit, and there's much scripture that deal with the subject of covetousness, and so it's difficult to uh, really begin. Uh, But I'm going to give us a number of points as to answering the question, what is uh, covetousness? But one preacher put it this way, he said that uh, coveting is the mainspring of life for our rebellious race. The mainspring of life. What, what is it that drives man? What is it that prompts man to move and to act and to make decisions? You're going to find that it's primarily covetousness. It's the mainspring of life for the rebellious race. And I think we're going to come to understand that as we look at the Scriptures and determine really what is covetousness. Uh, let me make the first statement, first of all, that first covetousness, if it is to be understood, is really to be identified as a sin of the heart. It is to be identified as a sin of the heart. If you hold your place here, and now by the way, the commandment says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. He is not saying, don't take possession of those things and rob your neighbor. That's not what he's saying. We already have the commandment, thou shalt not steal. But here he says, thou shalt not covet those things. Uh, hold, Hold your place here and turn with me to the book of Ezekiel the book of Ezekiel, and uh, turn with me to chapter 33, Ezekiel chapter 33, right before the book of Daniel, after the book of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel chapter 33, Um, let's go down with me if you um, come with me to verse 30, so Ezekiel chapter 33 in verse 30, The word of God says, Also, thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses, and speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh forth from the Lord. And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words. But they will not do them. And now, when we think about that, the people gather, they assemble, they assemble for the purpose of hearing the Word of God. And here's the people, they gather to hear the Word of God, and they they hear the Word of God, but they, they do not do them. So what is to be attributed? To them hearing the Word, but not doing the Word. He says, for with their mouth they show much love... But their heart goeth after their what? Covetousness. Covetousness. I want us to pause here and think about, as we think about here the description of uh, the, the nation of Israel who, were, uh, who had a, an outward zeal of saying, Hey, let, let's uh, hear from God. Let's assemble ourselves together. Let's hear what God has to say. And they would uh, sit in the chair just like you're sitting uh, maybe standing, whatever the circumstances was, and they would hear the Word of God spoke, but they would not do them and and God notice what he does here God he pulls the curtain away, and he tells us why they do not do the what the Word of God says, and He says there is something that has consumed them, there is something in their heart that is got such a hold of them that they are prevented from being obedient to God. What is that one thing that has got a a hold of their heart? He says, it is covetousness. Covetousness. Psalm chapter 10, verse 3 says, For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire, and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. When it comes to the subject of covetousness, it is clear that God, He abhors covetousness. He deems uh, uh, covetousness to be a, a great violation, a great sin against Him. And so when we think about here the focus on how covetousness is really identified as a sin in the heart, we understand that covetousness really is when someone uh, who, whose heart is dedicated, we, you could say of, of daydreaming and of scheming for things that belong down in this world, in this life, in this present world, and depending on them for some degree of happiness and fulfillment. Uh, covetousness is a heart that is longing to find fulfillment and happiness in the things of this world that's what covetousness is uh, covetousness we might say as one uh, pastor put it it is the the it is uh, the craving of personal uh, earthly benefits it is the uh, craving for things. It is the setting your heart upon something. Uh, the human mind is filled with dreams, with schemes, with fancies, which are really props, uh, 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 props for people uh, where people become dependent on those things for their happiness and for them to keep going in this life. It is, uh, in a sense, for our world, it is the engine that keeps the world turning. Covetousness. Everything we see in our world appeals to man's covetousness. You drove to church today, no doubt you saw some billboards. You, know, you probably ignored them, but the point is they're there. Uh, if you uh, open your phone, now there's ads everywhere and uh, all these things are trying to draw you and they're trying to feed off of your covetousness with words you can't live without. Make yourself happy by getting this. In other words, those who are in the marketing industry know exactly what makes people tick. And that is why they appeal to man's covetousness. Really, coveting is the act of focusing the mind on things such as uh, property, possession, success, esteem, status, fame, popularity, position, personal appearance, or on expressly forbidden goals or things like we find here in Exodus chapter 20, such as thy neighbor's wife. And so covetousness, as we identify the sin of covetousness, we we have to understand uh, that it is a sin of the heart, primarily. Now, we know that the heart is desperately wicked above all things who can know it. And we know that the heart, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so we must be very careful, although we say, well, that's a sin in the heart, therefore that's no big deal. No, no, no. It is absolutely a big deal because as you think in your heart, so you will be. It will drive your decision making eventually. And so covetousness is identified as a sin of the heart. But also, if we look at the Scriptures, we understand something that Covetousness is also fueled, fueled in our hearts by the lust of the eyes. If we were to ask what is the, the, the avenue or we might say the conduit that brings about or that develops or promotes or brings covetousness to the forefront, it's, it's the lust of the eyes. Uh, We know that, for example, let me give you two uh, examples that I've already referred to in this series. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, when uh, the serpent came to Eve in the garden, uh, you remember he uh, showed her that the fruit would make one wise. And the Bible says this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, and the woman, the Bible says, saw that the tree was good for food. But she didn't stop at that. Something in her sight Uh, Developed something in her heart and not only does she see that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. And she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And you remember what the temptation was as he says, if you eat of the fruit, you will be as God. You will be as God. And so covetousness is fueled by the lust of the eyes. That's why we must guard our eyes, what we set our eyes on. You remember the example, I just referred to that not too long ago, but you think about the sin of Achan when they go into the promised land and the walls of Jericho come down and Achan, he is, he is caught and uh, if you say the God pinpointed the the tribe and the family and the individual who committed that act of disobedience, who caused the death of uh, his uh, brethren, and so in Joshua chapter seven verse twenty one, uh, here is the words of Achan himself. This is not Joshua saying that's what happened to Achan. This is the words of Achan. Wait, Achan as he looks at his life and he goes back to that moment when he disobeyed God the Bible tells us what is it that fueled his disobedience. He says this, When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and two hundred shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of fifty shekels weight, he says, when I saw them, and then he says, Then I coveted them. Now covetousness, is primarily a sin of the heart. But what is it that fuels covetousness? The lust of the eyes. He saw, and what he saw caused something to begin to muse in his heart. He began to think, to dwell as to what could I have with this. I, uh, he, his heart began to long to crave after those things, thinking to himself, I will find fulfillment in those things. I will find happiness. I will find comfort. Whatever it is, he thought that he just needed those things to satisfy him. And he says, I saw them, I coveted them, and took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. And so covetousness is identified as a sin of the heart, but covetousness is fueled by the lust of the eyes. Thirdly, Covetousness is found in a mind that is primarily occupied with earthly possessions. Covetousness is found in the mind that is primarily occupied with earthly possessions. If you turn with me to the book of Luke in the New Testament, Luke chapter 12, Jesus Christ is given giving instruction here in Luke chapter 12 and if you uh, note with me uh, let's begin reading in verse uh, 15 Uh, Jesus says um, by the way a a man came and had a debate with his brother as to the division of the inheritance and and evidently uh, now would it be fair for the two brothers to have equal inheritance certainly but Jesus knew something that we don't know in that moment he knew the man's heart And so he goes right into the subject of covetousness, because he knows what motivates the question. And he says this in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, and he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, and so here he is going to illustrate, but I want you to notice here, uh, what is it that Jesus Christ in this parable emphasizes? It is a parable, but he is emphasizing something about this man, this rich man. Notice what he says. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he, what's the next word in verse 21? Thought within himself. It's a parable. Jesus Christ is not just painting a picture of a story. He is telling us in this parable, primarily emphasizing what is going on within the mind of this rich man. He thinks within himself, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruit. Let me put it this way. What is going to keep me going in this life? What is going to be my motivation to keep moving forward, to keep functioning in this world? What must I do next? And the mindset here, his mindset is purely on what is temporal and earthly. The Bible says, and uh, verse 18, he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will be, will I bestow all my fruits and my goods, and I will say to my soul. Notice he's speaking to himself. These are his own thoughts. He thinks, if I do this, if I only do this, I'm going to be satisfied. I have these great barns and I'm rich. Uh, what can I do? Let's get richer. Let's have more. And he thinks within himself that if he just simply does those things that he will say to his soul, wonderful job. Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Thy uh, Take thine ease, drink, and be merry. What does that mean? Fine solace, satisfaction, peace in those earthly things. That's covetousness. Covetousness is found in the mind that is primarily occupied with earthly possession, but specifically the mind that is primarily occupied with thinking that those possessions will bring fulfillment, and they do not. Jesus says, gives the, uh, you might say this, life truth when He says, a man's life does not consist of the things that he possesses. In other words, how uh, would you define a great life? It cannot be defined by someone who possesses great riches. That is not what life consists of. And so covetousness is found in the mind that is primarily occupied with earthly possessions. But there's another thing we know about covetousness, and that is that covetousness is subtle because it is seldom recognized in the transgressor. Covetousness is subtle because it is seldom recognized in the transgressor. What I mean by that is, when we think about the sins, the Ten Commandments that are listed, we can easily identify whether we are transgressing those commandments or not. But because we might say that this sin is an invisible sin, because it is by nature invisible, but rather in the heart and the mind that is preoccupied with earthly things and it is fueled by uh, the, the lust of the eyes, it is seldom recognized by the transgressor of covetousness. And we're going to find here by the end of this message that really covetousness is really much more prevalent in our lives than we think. Uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 7. We're memorizing in Sunday school uh, Romans chapter 7. But Paul says something Very important. If you remember, when he gave his testimony in in, uh, his letter to the church at Philippi, he said that uh, he was um, a Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. But he says also, concerning the law, blameless. That's what he said. And by the way, in that, he's, he's looking back at his mindset when he was a Pharisee. And so when he looked at the law itself, and he knew the Ten Commandments, he was not ignorant of those, but probably he, uh, his understanding of it was narrowed down to the, the letter of the law. And, and so he looked at the Ten Commandments, and he thought himself as a Pharisee concerning the law to be blameless. In other words, nobody who observed the life of the Apostle Paul could say, you're guilty of this commandment, of violating this commandment. Nobody could say anything about the Apostle Paul. He was blameless. But here in Romans chapter 7, he uh, gives us some insight as to something that he learned now as a believer. Someone now who understands not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. He just said in this chapter that we've been saved so that we might uh, serve not in the oldness of the letter, but in the newness of the spirit. And so now we have a greater understanding of the law of God. And he says this in verse 7 of Romans 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. He says here, now he's talking about in this chapter, the lust of concupiscence, the desires, what drives a man uh, to action. And he says, I really didn't comprehend the law, didn't really have a true understanding of the law, and of lust until I really understood what the commandment meant when it said, thou shalt not covet. And so what we learn from this here is that covetousness is really so subtle Because it is seldom recognized by those who transgress the Ten Commandments. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. Well, what of covetousness? What of the invisible sin? Do you recognize it in your own life? Let me ask you this. What drives you? What motivates you? What keeps you going? In this life. Is it earthly things? Earthly pursuits? Or is it, as we'll see in just a moment, the Lord? So covetousness is subtle because it is seldom recognized by the transgressor. But there's nothing we find in the Scriptures, and that is that covetousness is an act of worship which violates the first commandment. Covetousness is an act of worship which violates the first commandment. You say, Pastor, you, uh, you can't just make a statement without using the Bible. I'm glad you said that. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Um, the first commandment is, by the way, thou shall have no other gods before me. You should not commit the sin of idolatry. That's what the Bible says. And uh, let me review that first commandment in just a moment. But notice what Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 says. It says, uh, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. And and then he says, he gives a list. And uh, those are are primarily... uh, sexual sins, he says, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence. But then he mentions one more thing in there, and that is covetousness. And then he says, which is idolatry. Uh, now, that is the New Testament teaching on covetousness and uh, idolatry. Now, let me put it very clearly to you this way. It is not just that covetousness is similar to idolatry. He says covetousness is idolatry. He, he doesn't say uh, that uh, there is a resemblance between covetousness and idolatry. No, he says that covetousness is idolatry. And so we must be very clear about this. That the sin of covetousness is indeed the violation of the first commandment of God. It is to commit idolatry. Now, what is the first commandment? If you remember, and I'm not going to whole preach the whole first commandment, but let me refresh your memory. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Here is how we summed up that first commandment. It is anyone or anything to which I give undue or supreme admiration and affection That is another God. Uh, When a person or thing begins to occupy a dominating place in our affection, it is probably a God. Uh, I had read from Matthew Henry who says uh, idolatry is really to love. To desire, to delight in, to expect any good from any sinful indulgence is prohibited. Equally, we are not allowed any person or created thing, whoever valuable or excellent it is, to rival God in our affection. We talked about the commandment says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And so we focused on the words before me. And here God doesn't say, Well, you make sure you put me first. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean, well, you put me first and then you can have all the other affections after that. No. When God says, thou shalt have no other gods before me, he says, not anything in my sight. Nothing at all. There's not a hierarchy of gods and things that we give our life to in this world. There is only one. And that's God. Covetousness. Without the blatant, I'm worshiping the god Zeus, is the preoccupation with things of this world, things that we are passionate about, things that we have our affection for, that are elevated to a place of deity. Why? Because it is what drives our lives. Covetousness. Covetousness is... Idolatry. Let me give you a, a summary of uh, what we might refer to as covetousness. Turn with me to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, here we find again uh, Jesus Christ teaching His disciples. Uh, by the way, it's just amazing the continuity of the Scriptures, how it all goes together marvelously. Luke chapter 16, <clears throat> and um, uh, notice with me verse uh, 13. Luke chapter 16, verse 13, he says this No servant can serve two masters. Now, I want you to remember, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, thou shalt not covet. No man can serve two masters. Remember, no gods before me, no one in sight. The Christian life is not divided to where we have our religious life over here, and now we have our secular life. That is not the life of the Christian. The life of the Christian is primarily occupied by Christianity, uh, by conformity to Christ. That's what he gives. In other words, there, there's not many masters, and there cannot be many masters. Uh, that's why if if uh, uh, covetousness persists in our lives and we will uh, be a shipwreck and we will no longer serve God. He says, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. And he says, you cannot serve God and mammon. And here's what he says in verse 14. And the Pharisees also, who were covetous. Ah. You remember what Paul said about the law? He thought he was blameless concerning the law. But here's what lied at the root of Pharisees, What is it? Covetousness. Did they go out and commit adultery? No. Did they go out and murder? Well, you could say they murdered the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, I understand that. They thought they were doing God a service though. Oh, concerning the law, they're blameless. But he speaks to them because he knows they're covetous. Now what did you just say? You can't serve two masters. Who were they serving? Well, they thought that they were serving God, but they were serving their own bellies. And he says to them, you are covetous, you can't serve God, Uh, to two masters, you can't serve God and mammon. And so he says to those Pharisees who were covetous, heard all these things, and they derided him, they criticized him, and oh, how it is like the world who will say, well, uh, I'm not hurting anyone. So why are you all just so consumed with those sins that uh, have nothing to do and don't affect other people's lives? Because they are an affront to God. That is why. We revile sin not because primarily of what it does to our fellow man. We revile sin because God reviles sin. That is why. And so, he says to them, verse 15, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your what? Hearts. What was their heart? Covetousness. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. That's the summary of covetousness. You can serve two masters. And what is covetousness is I'm serving myself. My interests. Above what God desires for my life to be. So that is what is covetousness. But I, I want to take this a step further and ask the follow up question. What does covetous, covetousness do? Uh, okay, it's in the heart, it's the mind that is consumed, it's uh, primarily fueled uh, uh, by the eyes, it's this uh, I- invisible sin, and it, it is an act of worship. Okay, but, but what, what does it do? Why, why uh, you might say, I'll talk about lastly, why is it so serious? But, but what does it do to us? What does covetousness do? And here's what we learn from the scriptures that covetousness do. You see, covetousness first has to be identified for what it is. But secondly, covetousness must be identified for what it does in our hearts and what, and what happens in our lives spiritually because of covetousness. What happens? I'm going to give you, give you a lot of scripture here, but let me make the statements and then we'll go to the scriptures First of all, we learned that covetousness chokes out the ministry of the Word. Covetousness chokes out the ministry of the Word. Turn with me to the book of Matthew in chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, this is the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, he speaks in chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, and if we uh, begin reading in No, that's the wrong. Excuse me, the wrong chapter. I have the wrong reference. Jesus Christ, early in His ministry, talked about, He gave a parable of the sower. When He gave the parable of the sower, He talked about how the seed, which is the Word, fell on different ground. Some of the seed fell on the wayside. Uh, Some of uh, the seed fell among thorns. And uh, some of the seed fell on good ground. But when he goes back and gives the interpretation of the parable, he says that the seed is the Word of God. And then he says that the seed that falls on the thorns, he makes it very explicit, and he says that uh, when they receive the Word... The Bible says that the thorns, they choke out the word. And he says, the cares of this world, the deceitful riches of this world, what happens? Chokes out the word. And so what we learn here is that the heart that is consumed with the worldly uh, covetousness, in a sense, chokes out the ministry of the word. Uh, the, the idea Matthew 13? 22, 13 1322 13, thank you and so if you want to go there so you know i didn't just make that up you know turn Matthew 13 <clears throat> notice verse 22 he also that receives seed among thorns is he that heareth the word And, notice, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. Do you remember we read in Ezekiel, the people gather, they assemble to hear the word of God, and then they hear the word of God, but they don't do it. And God says that is because their heart is after covetousness. Something is choking out the word of God out of their lives, From the heart, being able to accept the Word of God into the heart. What is that? It's covetousness. Covetousness. The psalmist said this in Psalm 119, verse 36, Incline my heart unto thy testimonies, and not unto covetousness. Why? Because you can't have both. If we give our lives for the things of the world, here is what it's going to do to the ministry of the Word. It's going to choke it out of your life. You will not be able to receive from the Word. You can have devotions as much as you want. You can come to church as much as you want. But if your heart is consumed with covetousness, the ministry of the Word will be ineffective in your life. You will continue as you are. Consumed with covetousness, being... Although you hear it, indifferent to the Word. There's a second thing that covetousness does. If you turn with me to Romans chapter 13, secondly, covetousness deadens one's love for his neighbor. Now, the, the commandment really uh, tells us that. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thy neighbor's wife, thy neighbor's ox, his manservant, his maidservant, and so forth. And so the idea there is um, um when we think about your neighbor, he, he had said, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery, right? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. And so the idea there is that, well, if you're covetous, you're going to, uh, your heart and your mind is to taking those things away from your neighbor because it's not that you actually desire the very things that he has. You wish your heart's desire, your heart's passion, is that the things that he has would be the things that you have. And that's covetousness and and so we see here that covetousness really deadens one's love for his neighbor. Now, notice with me in Romans chapter 13, he mentions here uh, the some of the commandments, but notice Romans 13, verse 8, he says, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Now Jesus taught that. Paul is teaching what Jesus taught, and here's what he says in verse 9. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, and we might say all of those impact somebody else's life. But then he says, thou shalt not covet. And here's what he says. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You see, one of the motivations uh, that enables us to fulfill the law is love. How do you fulfill the first four commandments? With regards to our relationship with God. Thou shalt love God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. How do you fulfill the other commandments as pertaining to man? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But is there is there one of the commandments that might deaden your love for your neighbor. There is one. I believe that's the sin of covetousness. Why? Because remember, covetousness is the sin of the heart. It's what occupies the mind. It is affected by, or fueled by, the lust of the eyes. And when that is fueled, you're no longer motivated by love for your neighbor You wish you had what your neighbor had. And so what happened is that covetousness, uh, in a sense, deadens your love for your neighbor, which is what motivates you to treat your neighbor as you would want yourself to be treated. Covetousness saps out the love that you ought to have for your neighbor in your heart and replaces it with covetousness. That's what it does. But there's a third thing that covetousness does. Covetousness takes over the heart with affection for the worldly, robbing God of the affection and service that is rightfully due unto Him alone. Let me say that again. Covetousness takes over the heart with affection for the worldly, robbing God of the affection and the service that is rightfully due unto Him alone. We can think of many scriptures, but one of those is when Paul wrote about his fellow servant, and he said this, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Paul says Demas, who was a fellow servant, he was serving God. He loved the Lord evidently. Paul would not have had him accompany him if there was no sign that he loved the Lord and he served God. But somewhere along the line, something took over the heart of Demas And something, whatever that was, might have been, by the way, right, an invisible sin, a sin of the heart, a sin whose mind is primarily preoccupied with the things of the world, a sin that is fueled by the lust of the eyes, a sin that is invisible to men, But God knows the sin. And so eventually, Demas gets to the place where Uh, those things that have been developed in his heart that have raced and coursed through his mind again and again and again are now so prevalent that he just does it. But what does it do? It takes over the heart, but at the same time the reason why it is the sin of idolatry is because at the very same time it robs God of the affection and the service that he alone deserves. You see, we don't tend to look at covetousness this way. I say, it doesn't hurt anyone. Here is the chief motivation of being faithful. To be obedient to his word is because when we sin, we are grieving the heart of a God who loves us passionately. And covetousness, I believe, is the chiefest sin in the life of a man that robs God of the affection that he deserves from us. So that's what covetousness does. We see what it is, we see what it does, but there's a third question that I would like to give you, and that is how serious is the sin of covetousness? And here I I don't want to necessarily think about what the Old Testament says. We could spend a lot of time in that. And there are many examples, but what does the New Testament say for believers in the church? Now, I'm going to talk about the opposite positive virtues, but I want to establish here how serious is the sin of covetousness in the church. And now, these are not in any specific order, but let me give you the first. First of all, it is serious because it is covetousness is a characteristic of the life of the unregenerate man. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians in chapter 6. And then we'll go to uh, <coughs> Ephesians and chapter 5. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The Bible says in verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And here's what he says. We know that this is true. It describes the life of the unregenerate. It describes the life of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And here's what he says. And such were some of you. That is a characteristic of the unregenerate life that you are privy to that you gave yourself to. You were that way, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord and by the Spirit of our God. And so, he says, it is a characteristic of the life of the unregenerate, and that is where you were. But you are washed and you are clean. Uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, he uh, speaks again of the subject, but I want you to notice how he addresses that to, with the believers. In Ephesians 5 verse 1, he says, Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering, and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication, and all uncleanness, or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving a thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And and so he says that is descriptive, it's a characteristic of the life of the unregenerate man. He says in verse 6, let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience, be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Do you know what that means? Walk without covetousness. <clears throat> covetousness is a serious sin because it is a characteristic of the life of the unregenerate man. And here's the truth. It ought not to be a characteristic of the life of a a regenerate man. It can be, but it should not be. It can be. That's why he says, let no man deceive you. Don't be overtaken by this again. There's a second thing we see about how serious covetousness is. Secondly, covetousness forfeits one's opportunity within church leadership. Uh, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Here, here is uh, God putting forth in His Word what He thinks about covetousness, how it should be regarded in the church, and, and how what should be our understanding of uh, covetousness. 1 Timothy chapter 3. He speaks of two offices in chapter 3, the bishop and, and the deacon. Uh, that's the pastor and the deacon. And he says this in 1 Timothy chapter 3, or... Er, Yes, First Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy or filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. Paul writes to Timothy and says, here are the parameters If somebody desires the office of a bishop, if someone wants to be a pastor in a church, you cannot select a man who is covetous. You can't do it. When he deals with the deacon, notice what he says about the deacon in verse 8. Likewise, must the deacon be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine. And here he says, not greedy, of filthy lucre. Another way, not covetous. And so here's what we learn from God. Covetousness forfeits one's opportunity to church leadership. That's what God said. That's how important it is to God. And therefore, that's how important it ought to be to us. There's another truth that we find in the New Testament that helps us understand how serious covetousness is. We understand that covetousness is also Grounds for separation with another believer. If you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians and chapter 5, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 5, notice with me in verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or, what's the next word? Covetous. Or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one know not to keep. Don't have company with him. A man who is covetous. That's what God says. Covetousness is grounds for separation with another believer. Uh, Let me show you one more scripture. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Notice verse, verse 9. He says, But they that will be rich... Fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of them, uh, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, notice, they have erred from the faith. Now, if somebody errs from the faith, err in doctrine, you're not to keep company with them. But why have they erred? They have erred because of covetousness. So covetousness is grounds for. Separation with another believer. But there's one more thing I want to give you. So it is a characteristic of the unregenerate life. It forfeits one's opportunity for church leadership. It includes, it is, uh, it is grounds for separation with fellow believers, but also it is included as a chief characteristic of perilous times. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 if you're in 1 Timothy go to 2 Timothy 3 this know also verse 1 that in the last days perilous times shall come for men shall be lovers of their own selves number 2 covetous there are 13 characteristics of perilous times the second that is mentioned out of those 13 characteristics is covetousness If you go to chapter 4 of the same chapter, notice of the same book, 2 Timothy 4, he says this in verse 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itchy ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and they shall be turned unto fables. Now the word lost here means one's longings, one's a strong desire. And so here Paul warned Timothy that there was coming a day when there would be such a congregation that will follow and that will seek after the kind of pastor who will allow them to do what they want. To live as they please. They will actively recruit men who will not reprove them, who will not rebuke them of covetousness. He said that day is coming. And so you preach the word. One preacher said, we see this in many churches today where people are allowed to live in a self-seeking leisure-loving worldly way and at the same time are flattered from their pulpits into thinking that they are still loyal disciples of Christ. They preach the theoretical doctrines of the Bible, even the glorious doctrine of grace, so as to stretch and flatter the intellect of the hearers, but they take care never to rebuke covetousness in any of its manifestations. That is descriptive of perilous times where churches will be encouraged by preachers or silent, silent on the issue of covetousness. Live as you please. Please yourself. Find something in this world that drives you. Self-motivation. That's the life of most churches today. And very few are instructed in saying, Oh, covetousness is a sin. It is the sin of idolatry. And God will not allow in His presence anything to compete with Him. You cannot serve two masters. For either you will love the one and despise the other, or else you will hold to the one. And despise the other. You cannot serve God. And mammon. You see covetousness is idolatry. It does. Some devastating things. In the heart. Of believers. And it is also a serious sin. Against God. Now. I have to stop. At a bad spot. <laughs> But the good spot's coming. Because there's a positive virtue. And let me just give you the verse which will give you an inclination to come back for the second part next Sunday night. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Oh." Covetousness, what's the opposite? Contentment. And here, where is contentment found? It's found in the presence of the Lord. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. And then he deals with the sin of covetousness. There is a positive virtue that ought to be cultivated in our lives. You see, the Christian life is not, that's why I I feel bad staying here, but my time is gone. I've preached more than I ought to. But the message is not done. Because the Christian life is not defined by what we don't do. The Christian life is defined by what we do, do. And one of those is to cultivate in us the spirit of contentment in the presence of the Lord.